Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Father, give us now attentiveness to your word. I pray that we would all be like little children anticipating a word from our Father and a meal from our mother, and that we would now be focused and ready to eat from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So turn to John 15 again, and we'll pick up at verse 18 and read through chapter 16, verse 4. So please stand for the reading of God's word. is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But but all these things they do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, They would not have sin, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well, but they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes whom I will send to you from the father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you, so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. You remember that one of the things that our Lord said to his followers and to the apostles the disciples, was take up your cross. Take up your cross. He said that to his men, to every one of us, he says it in the pages of Scripture. Take up your cross. Now, taking up the cross means means a lot of things, but it, it fundamentally means to embrace the suffering that is inevitably going to be a part of the Christian life. 
Embrace suffering. Taking up the cross means having a willingness to endure insult, to endure even violence as a follower of Jesus Christ, who endured his own cross with its insults and its violence. And so there is a temptation that all of us face, and it is the temptation to be unfaithful to our spouse, Jesus Christ. There are many temptations that come along and push us toward unfaithfulness. And perhaps the ultimate is some form of waiting to be liked by the world, liked by colleagues, liked by family members, liked by people who have worldly success. Those are the people we want as our friends. We simply, brothers and sisters, it's really simple, children, we simply want to be liked. We want to be liked, right? I want to be liked. You want to be liked. We all want to be liked. We want to fit in. We always want to fit in. We, we want to um, receive... Us. The praise of men. And we really hate to be hated. I mean, it is the pursuit of our lives to, to avoid being hated, to please people, right, on some level, and to avoid being hated. We hate it, and we just want to be liked. And this, but our hatred of being hated does not just affect our behavior in a few critical um, moments of our lives. It, it rears its ugly head in low-stakes situations every day. We hide the fact that we are followers of Christ when the neighborhood kids are hanging out on our front porch. We... We stay silent when we hear somebody in the grocery store take the Lord's name in vain. We, we hide before we take our Bibles out of our backpacks to read them in the public, but uh, we find a nook where we can sort of hide away so we don't have to field questions about who we are or what we're doing or what we believe. We're like the Apostle Peter, who denied even knowing Jesus with cursing when asked by, it, by a servant girl. Now, Peter later wept about his infidelity, but in that moment, he did not want to be hated by those who were questioning him about his association with Jesus Christ. He hated being hated. The, the fe we fear those who can kill the body more than we fear the one who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell, don't we? But it is worse than that. We, uh, we don't really fear dying for our faith. Um, maybe it's just because of our context. We haven't had to think about that, really dying for our faith. 
you know, someone saying, if you don't, if you don't worship this idol, we're going to throw you into a furnace of fire. Uh, has that happened to anybody here? No. Um, we don't really fear dying for our faith. We simply fear having to live out our faith. That's honestly what we fear, having to live out our faith, being known as Christians. We fear having to speak of Jesus. We fear the rejection that will result from sharing Jesus. We fear severing relationships. And it, it, it is not martyrdom that we are facing, far from it. We're just facing awkward social interactions. And we cower in the face of awkward social interactions. That's enough to make us wilt. That's enough to make me wilt. Right? We, we have not begun to experience the kind of hatred that our fathers in the faith experienced or our Savior experienced. We may face the kind of hatred for our faith, you know, that kind of hatred for our faith, but our, our, our current tra trajectory of being fearful even about just social interaction is not very encouraging. It's not, it, I'm not encouraged about myself in that regard. Why are Christians hated so much? Jeremy Pierce said something to me this week that was helpful to me. He said that atheists and other haters of religion and even the demons solely focus their attack on Christianity, right, which testifies to its truth. How so? Satan is happy for counterfeit religions to exist. He's happy for every new cult, new idol, new religion that pops up. He's happy with those. They don't need an attack, but he must attack the true religion. And so with every new book written by an atheist, we learn that their greatest attack is reserved for Christianity. Right? Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam do not receive the same treatment. And that very fact testifies to the truth of the Christian faith. Right? And that very fact testifies to the truth of what Christ said, that those who would follow him would have to take up their cross. Christianity and Christians are hated. It is our lot in life by the prophecy of this very Son of God. That is our lot in life. The very Son of God came to his own people, and the people he led through the wilderness, they rejected him, and they mocked him, and then they teamed up with wicked pagans, the Romans, and put him to death. Killed him. And didn't just kill him and step back and think, hmm, maybe we shouldn't have done that, but killed them and rejoiced that he was out of the way. The early Roman emperors did their best to stamp out the Christian religion, right? The Christians were said to be atheists because they wouldn't add the Roman gods to their worship. They were said to be cannibals because they spoke about this eating of the body and drinking of the blood. 
of Christ. They were said to be rebels and revolutionaries and, and insurrectionists because they wouldn't worship the emperor who had proclaimed himself a god. And when the gospel was recovered in the Reformation time, the fire came against those reformers and many of them met their deaths. So glorious was the message of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone to them that they were willing to risk their lives by printing and transporting Bibles into the, in the common tongue. Today, the communists of China seek to crush the spread of Christianity in their nation. We have no idea how many of our brothers and sisters are wasting away and forgotten in prison camps. We have no idea. And in the West, as I said before, Christianity is the whipping boy for every atheist and ideologue and activist right, who blames Christianity for society's ills and oppressions. In that context, but even within the far less cosmic or theoretical context of, you know, in the context of simply our own families or our own homes, we hate to be hated and we refuse to take up the cross. Right? This temptation is common to man, as we learn from the Apostle Peter, as he hated to be hated. He hated to be outed as a Christian. It was a temptation to the apostles, and so Jesus tells them during this walk, remember they're walking to Calvary, that, that they would be hated. Hated. Though they would battle their inner temptations... They would not be able to argue ignorance of the hatred they would endure. Jesus told them right here. When it came, they would know about it, right? Perhaps that ought to factor into our witness today. We should ask those who are interested in Christianity, who are inquiring about, you know, what, it, what would it mean if I became a, a Christian? We should tell them, well, it's going to mean that everybody's going to hate you. Especially the members of your own household. You're going you're gonna to be hated. That's the first thing. You're going to be hated, but God's going to love you. Take your pick. When Christ calls a man to follow him, he bids him come and die. Come and die. That's Bonhoeffer. I'd add to that, when Christ calls a man to follow him, he bids him, come and be hated. Be hated by the members of your own household, by those who once part you partied with, right? By those who decide whether you will get a promotion or tenure. You'll be hated by them. By the civil magistrates who rule over you. You'll get their unfriendliness. By atheists and celebrities bank loan officers, <laughs> you'll be hated. Jesus said to the apostles on the night before the hatred of the Jews and Romans would culminate in his crucifixion, he, he said, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. In other words, don't be surprised at this. It, it, it's going to go for you like it went for me, right? 
and they hated me, and so they will hate those who follow me. They will hate those who love me. In verse 20, we read this, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So Jesus is telling his men that what he endured, they would endure. Hatred and persecution. I mean, for many, just those statements of Jesus are reasons to, as I was saying earlier, they're reasons to tap out. Some people just cannot stand tension with other people. They cannot stand to be hated. And so if Christianity means this, that's it. I'm not going to do it. The temptation we have, or many of us have, is so strong, that, that, that temptation to be liked, that the instructions and preparations Jesus gives to those who follow him are too extreme. We might be willing to give up a bit of wealth to charity. You know, we might, we might be able to give up cussing. Yeah, I'll give that up for Jesus. Perhaps one might even be willing to give up their Sunday mornings, even when it's Super Bowl Sunday or the NCAA tournament's on. But taking up the cross of hatred and persecution... Now let me interject here that I think many of I think many of you here would actually endure hatred and persecution well. You like a good fight. But what is most difficult for you is having to tell a niece or a nephew that what they are doing does not honor God. And yes is sin and here's the word of God to prove it. You don't want to be faithful there and have to endure the judgment of your sister or mother or brother or father. You might be able to endure actual martyrdom at the hands of strangers, but looking like a Jesus freak before your family? Can't do it. Not going to do it. But does Jesus exempt us from having to look like fools before our friends and family? Does he exempt us from that? I mean, the gospel coalition would make us so nuanced that they wouldn't even recognize it. But if you're a biblical Christian and you, you, you believe what's written here, you believe things like, yeah, the world was created in six 24-hour days. Does Jesus exempt us from having to look like fools before our friends and family? No. Does our love for Jesus impact the way that we relate to those of our own families who do not love Jesus? Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And then do you remember what words immediately follow on the heels of him saying that? And he who does not take his cross and follow me, follow after me, is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. 
And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. This is often what happens with Christians. You come to faith and lose your entire families. Do you realize that? I know what my family thinks of me. Jesus freak, right? Over the top. You have to lose your life when you come to Christ. Do you realize that? Nothing will be the same. You come to Christ and suddenly all of your friends will drop away from you. Do you realize this? Has this happened to you? Or have you... Have you kept your faith hidden and then prayed things like, well, maybe God will give me an opportunity to be faithful before my friends? And that's just delaying being faithful. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you know how we do that? Right? Everything changes when you come to Jesus Christ because you found the pearl of great price. And so you're happy about everything changing. But maybe not. I mean, this is one of our crosses to bear. Our love for Christ must be a jealous love that never yields to those who would tell us to put them above Jesus. Never, never, never do that. Calvin says, if we are vexed and tormented by the thought that the gospel should set us at variance with our father or our wife or our children, let us remember this condition, that Christ subjects all his disciples to the cross, yet let us also bear in mind this consolation that in bearing the cross, we are the companions of Christ. which will speedily, speedily have the effect of allaying all its bitterness. So there's this bitterness of loss, but then you take up the cross, you're hated, but you realize, okay, Jesus and I are carrying crosses, and I'm with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, bearing a cross. Why will the followers of Christ be hated and persecuted? Why will you be mocked and ridiculed for your faith, even by the members of your own household? Like Pilgrim, as he heads out of the celestial uh, or the city of destruction in Pilgrim's Progress, why will you hear your wife and children crying out for you to return to the city of destruction? Why will you be marginalized in society and face ridicule by the elites and the powerful? Why will you be hated? Well, Jesus says here if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you, hates you. You will be hated because Almighty God, who created heaven and earth, chose you out of the world. And that has made you different. Weird, strange, many would say insane. 
your very life, in your worship, in your obedience, even and especially in your humble repentance when you sin, especially in that, will be a rebuke to God-hating, lawless, and proud worldlings who would never do any of those things. It will drive people crazy. It will drive people into a rage to see you confess sins and grieve over the sins you committed against God when those people are still running in that and want you to run in it too. It will drive people into a rage. You will be an aroma of death to those who are perishing. And the last thing those who are perishing want to be reminded of is death and that they will die. And that's what you're a reminder of them. Your life will be a series of events proving over and over again that, that what the Apostle Peter wrote is true. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And all this, they, your unbelieving friends and family members and acquaintances, are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. They hate you. You're different. You are different. You're different. Not because you're smarter or have you know, figured things out, not because you were educated, not because you're white or black or red or yellow, right? Not because your body fat percentage is like 7% or whatever's good, I don't even know. Or because, you, you know, you refrain from certain foods. Or you eat fish every Friday during Lent. Or because you are less sinful than your unbelieving family members. That's not why God chose you. No, you're different because God chose you. That's it. You're different because God chose you. And, and brothers and sisters, you resent being different. I know it. I feel it. Right? I experience it. You resent being different. You resent all the tension it brings in your life. Can I just have some relationships in my family where there isn't some sort of awkward tension? Where I'm feeling like, you need to profess Christ. And they're like, they don't want to hear it, right? And it's just like, that's my constant life. I should be witnessing here. I don't want to witness here. I, don't, I, I want peace. Quiet. But... You resent all the tension that your difference, your faith, brings in your life. Can you come to terms with the fact that you are different? <laughs> different. Keep thinking of the, the early Apple advertisements. Think different, right? Or differently, or I don't know. But you're different. You've been set apart purposefully, by Almighty God, right? The simple fact that God has chosen to put his love on you has 
has made you different and it makes you stand out like a sore thumb and it marks you out for hatred and abuse. God marked you so that everybody could see it, all your faith could be seen, so that you'd be hated like his son. Thanks for that. You mean my whole life is going to be tension? Unresolved tension? Tension with coworkers? Tension with, with old friends who reject us when we first witness to them? Listen to this. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. I mean, that's the glory of the choice of God, right? It's the promises fulfilled to the patriarchs. He's chosen. Why did he love them? Because he chose to love them. Because why did he place his love on them? Because he placed his love on them. Why is he their covenant God? Because he kept his covenant promises, right? Not anything about them. And he has chosen you and has chosen to work in you by his Holy Spirit, and that makes you different. And because you don't affirm the affections of the world, you will be hated by the world. Because you don't love your sin, you'll be hated by the world, right? You will not be loved by those who continue to love their sin. Every bit of you is a confrontation to their beloved idolatry. Because you consider yourself weak, even dead, in need of the cleansing blood of Christ and the mercy of Almighty God, you will be hated by those who are seeking to justify themselves by whatever tiny little bit of cumin they want to tie. They will hate you because you won't preach to them their gospel, which amounts to this. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to believe. Don't tell me who I am. I know who I am, and I'm good. I'm good. I know who I am. I'm good. And all that I do pleases God. I, I'm precious in the sight of God. He knows me. He knows my heart. Yeah, I, I do these things, but I even have good motives for those. I'm just trying to love my friends and, and do what they do. In other words, dear brothers and sisters, the difference comes down to this. Those who love their sins will hate you for hating even your own sins. Now Jesus says, but all things... All these things, hatred and persecution, 
They will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Jesus has spoken and has revealed to the world just exactly what God thinks of sin. And God abhors it. And how do I know he abhors sin? He abhors sin because he sent his own son to die to redeem mankind. To die. He abhors it so much that he ordained the cross for his beloved son in whom he was well pleased. Until we see sin as God sees it, we will continue to excuse our sin. We will think of it as no hindrance to fellowship with God. A God who is even holy. There's no way to carry it all. How many have careened through life thinking they knew God, but who didn't give the slightest evidence that they knew him? And what evidence would have been given if they had known him? They would have wept about their sin. And they would have been hated for those tears. There would have been no sympathy for someone weeping over their sins. A worldling would look on that and absolutely despise that person for weeping over sin. Do you realize that? That's what pagans hate about Christians. They know they sin. And they hate to see Christians actually not acknowledge it and grieve it which they refuse to do. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Many claim they know God and then in the very next breath say that they want nothing to do with Jesus. You've been in that scenario too. Jesus sets them straight in this text to claim to love God and reject the Son of God who revealed to us his Father is impossible. He who hates me hates my Father also, said Jesus. Jesus came from the Father, and his purpose was to do the works the Father gave him to do. And he did those miracles, and he preached the word, and he healed the sick, and he stopped the wind, and he proclaimed the mysteries of God. And some still insist that they know God aside from that Jesus Christ. Who did those things? I mean, it's, it's, they are sorely mistaken. What does Jesus say? If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. The power of God was on display in Christ and those in Christ's generation and those who have read the Bible, read of those works in all subsequent generations and God's holy word. And yet many claim to have the Father while rejecting the Son. There's so many spiritual people out there. Spiritual people out there. And what they mean by spiritual is that they will have God on their own terms. Not organized religion, you know, not Jesus, but I'm spiritual. 
In other words, I'm, I'm going to determine for myself what God will be and how I will serve that God. They do not want Jesus, but what is, what is spirituality without Jesus? It's impotence. Because it lacks the power to bring those who are dead to life. It's just complete impotence. It's just a distraction until death. That's all it is. But it is not the power of life. It doesn't bring to life, right? It lacks the power to bring those who are dead to life. It is impotence because it lacks the power to make the foulest man clean. It's impotence because without Christ, the righteousness of God is not revealed from heaven. Spirituality without Christ is nothing. It is a figment of the imagination which is dead and depraved and unrelenting in its pursuit of sin. Unrelenting. Now remember the apostles. He has now told them to expect hatred and persecution. They are being told to take up their cross. And again, verses 26 to 27, he reminds them that they will have the Holy Spirit. He does, not, he does this again and again in, in, in this time he has, this last night with the apostles. We've seen it before. It'll be a theme in the next chapter, in chapter 16. Notice that it parallels what Jesus has been saying about hatred and persecution. As Jesus went, so it would go with his followers, cross-bearing. As the Holy Spirit went, testifying about Christ, so it will go with his followers. They will go and testify about Jesus Christ. And not only is their task to suffer for his name, it is their task to testify about Jesus Christ. Right? The whole world is going to rage against you, Jesus says, and you get to preach to those crowds. The whole world will be raging against you. You are going to suffer, but... And everywhere we go, everywhere you go, you'll face opposition and persecution. Yes, your life will be filled with tension, even from your own families, but you will continue to speak of me no matter what you suffer. You'll just keep speaking of Jesus. You'll never lose heart because the Holy Spirit will be working in you. And reminding you of Christ's glory. And you will never cease to sing his praises. Even as you suffer, you will know that you are witnessing. You are completing what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Right? We see these two things, suffering and witnessing, in chapter 5 of the book of Acts. The apostles are preaching Christ in Jerusalem. And the Pharisees and the high priests, the Sadducees, the whole San Sanhedrin and the ruling the ruling council are fed up with them preaching Christ. They command them to stop, and they flog them to make that point stick. And the end of Acts 5 summarizes the situation this way in their view. It says, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in Jesus' name, and then released them. So they went out of their... So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day, in the temple, and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. 
Had they gotten the point of Jesus from Jesus from John 15? Had they gotten the point from Jesus that night? Yes, they rejoiced that they had been considered worthy to suffer and suffer the worst kind of thing, which is shame. Suffer shame for his name. And despite the wicked command of the Sanhedrin, they went along doing the will of the Holy Spirit, teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. Suffering and witnessing, bleeding and speaking. So, dear brothers and sisters, we have to remember this example. We may be tempted to keep the peace, to not bring tension, to want ease and comfortable relationships in this life, but that is not what Jesus has promised us. Right? Everywhere we go, we will be hated because God has chosen us. That is such a bodacious claim. People would hate me just for making that statement. And everywhere we go, the Holy Spirit will proclaim Christ through us. And the more we are used in that way, the more we will be hated. And that should not lead to despondency or regret or shame. It should lead to rejoicing as it did with the apostles. As their backs were torn to shreds by flogging. As they faced life-threatening infection terrible pain, sleeplessness. They gloried in the fact that the Holy Spirit was using them to bring Christ to the nations. So too it ought to be with us. Don't get discouraged by rejection. Try not to be discouraged by rejection. Christ was rejected. Don't get discouraged by persecution. The apostles were persecuted. Don't get discouraged by hatred. The followers of Christ were and are hated. Keep on proclaiming Christ by your life, your repentance, and your words, your witness. So the next time you are preparing to cower before family members who don't know the Lord at the Thanksgiving meal, and you're tempted to say nothing before them about Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Remember these words to the apostles. Remember their example. Every Christian who has ever preceded you has faced the exact same trial. Every one of them. And Jesus told us it would be that way. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you about this. Walk away from every situation in which you are rejected for your faith every situation in which you are mocked for believing that a man rose from the dead, saying to yourself, this is exactly how Jesus told me it would be. This is exactly how this was supposed to go today. I was rejected and hated and mocked at and laughed at. That's exactly what Jesus said it would be. And then say a prayer to God that he would guard your heart from being depressed 
for the hatred of the world. And he would just guard your hearts because we hate being hated, don't we? And ask him to guard your heart. Ask him to give you a heart of rejoicing. Ask him to truly give you rejoicing at that moment as the apostles rejoiced before that wicked council. Can we do this? Let's pray. Lord, Father, we are cowards. We're so weak. We're so bottled up. We're so, we tremble at the, the wind blowing a leaf. Father, we tremble. We, we, we always proclaim there's, there's a lion in the street. There's a lion in the street. Because we don't want to be hated. We don't want to live in tension. Father, would you grant us repentance for that idolatry? Father, I pray that we would live for you and that that living for you as, as is promised here when the hatred and the mocking begins that we would simply be able to rejoice and think beyond the moment. Father, help us to do this. Help us to love sinners even when they reject and mock us. Help us to love them, to share with them what we know is the truth, come what may. And I pray that, the, that we would, rather than being discouraged by the hatred that comes our way, that it would just inflame us to be more and more like Christ, who suffered the greatest hatred to the point of death. Father, help us in this task. May we be faithful. May we rely upon the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.